Welcome to the Non-Alcoholic Drinks Podcast, helping you navigate the ever-growing world of what non-alcoholic drinks have to offer by bringing you the latest news, interviews, and drink reviews. Now, here is your host, Jonathan Lambrianidis. Hello, hello, and thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the Non-Alcoholic Drinks Podcast brought to you by Tipple Zero, where we believe enjoying a drink is all about the taste and the company you're with, while being a little bit less about the alcohol. This is the podcast for anyone looking to take the guesswork out of what non-alcoholic drinks to try next, while staying up to date with all the best new releases and hearing from people making waves in the community and the industry. I am your host, Jonathan Lambrianidis, and on today's episode, we are going to be talking with Ronald Vanderstreek, one of the brothers and founders behind Vanderstreek. Ronald is going to share some stories around the way Vanderstreek got started, how they got going with their non-alcoholic range, as well as a little bit around the products themselves. So if you're considering trying any of the Vanderstreek range, or you're thinking of getting involved with a new non-alcoholic beer and you want to give this one a try, then this episode is absolutely for you. By the way, one last thing before we get started, if you want to get in touch with me or you want to find out a little bit more about Tipple Zero, you can email me at podcast at tipplezero.com or head over to Instagram and follow me over there at Tipple Zero Drinks. That is at T-I-P-P-L-E Zero Drinks on Instagram. Alrighty, I kicked off with Ronald talking about the journey Vanderstreek went on from home brewers to commercial brewers, and we also kicked off by looking at the leap they took by developing the Playground series and how that came about, as well as what the guys were looking to do and showcase with that series. Ronald, great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. This is my first time in Australia. Well, welcome. It is winter here, but we're happy to have you. I can't wait to chat to you today about all things Vanderstreek, as the Playground is one of the beers that I keep coming back to because of its depth of flavor, maltiness, as well as the bitterness that you get to balance everything out. So it would be great if you could chat to us today about a little bit around how everything got started over at Vanderstreek. So Vanderstreek beer itself, we started off as homebrewers back in 2010, uh, me and my brother basically just getting together once a month to, you know, two brothers drinking some beers and, and brewing a beer as well without any focus, of course, on non-alcoholic beers. It was, um, yeah, every month we, we would brew a different beer and then also bottle the beer that we brewed the month before that. After three years of brewing without the intention to become a commercial brewery, we started brewing commercially as gypsy brewers and we also quit one day at our day jobs so that we could make some time free basically and have a beer day every week. I can recommend this to everybody. Just tell your boss that you won't be in for Fridays because that's going to be your beer day from now on. Then we started to get the plan together to build our own brewery, which is here in Utrecht. Yeah, in that path towards our own brewery, we were sitting together with our designer, Jamie, who designs all of our labels. And we came up with the idea for a playground series. So a series of beers which would explain what this brewery was going to be for us. So finally, we, we would have a physical place and we co-named it Our Playground. So in that series, we would already show off what people could expect once we had our own brewing equipment in. And one of the ideas was to do, you know, new stuff, crazy stuff. So we were packaging in different packaging than we would normally do. Our very first barrage beer was in that series, new hop varieties, and then finally also a non-alcoholic beer. And it's the only beer so far and up until this day that we get fan mail about. 
literally we get people emailing us, thanking us for Brewing Playground. And that, that's something that started from the very early beginning. So right when, when it hit market here, and we were only brewing like 40 hectoliters per month of it, and it would sell out the first day that it was filled. So we, we also got into a little problem here, building the brewery. We weren't able to brew it ourselves here. We were still just brewing it. And by the time that we were able to brew it here, we were really relieved because we managed to bump that 40 hectare to 80 hectare a month. But the demand for it was so crazy that we literally needed to brew it ourselves to be able to distribute it throughout the Netherlands, Europe, and later on also the world. So as you just heard, it was really amazing to hear the growth and the demand for that product and how it grew quite quickly. But what was also really refreshing to hear is the way that the Vander Street guys have this dedication to innovating and creating new beers and doing things a bit differently like barrel aging, changing packaging and including a non-alcoholic beer in the mix. Following on from that, Ronald explained how the inspiration for how the non-alcoholic beer came about and the process behind Vanderstrick settling on brewing a big hoppy IPA for their non-alcoholic beer range. So basically how we came up with it, I don't know if it's a beer that you guys have, but there's a German Pilsner brewery, Jever, and they have a beer called Jever Fun. And basically, my girlfriend and also my brother's girlfriend got pregnant around the same time. Their due date was two days apart, so that's really around the same time. And in my backyard, I happened to find, after after a while of pregnancy, a case of uh, Jever Fun. And I noticed myself that I started drinking on Monday nights, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, and actually enjoying the fact that I could drink beer more often without being unhealthy or being an alcoholic or being a fucking dick because my wife is being pregnant and I'm drinking all night, you know? So I, I had quite some fun doing that. But then also in the conversation with my brother and also with the brewers we were working with, we really started to wonder like, why is nobody throwing proper hops into a non-alcoholic beer? And you have to imagine here in uh, Europe, uh, we were brewing at one German brewery and that brewery... Uh, yeah, they, they have a more of a tradition of the non-alcoholic Weizens, for example. So, I mean, I'm sure you're aware of the Weinstefaner and the Paulaner and all those big breweries. Well, the small breweries in Bavaria, they also make non-alcoholic beers. And for the craft brewers at the time in the Netherlands, it was kind of magic. You know, how do you make it? What kind of equipment do you need? Nobody knew. So we had the little luck of being a gypsy brewer at one of those German breweries, a small family brewery. And I sat down with uh, the guy in charge there and asked him, like, how do you brew your non-alcoholic and why is nobody throwing hops in there and as a real proper german he had about uh, seven reasons why you couldn't brew a hoppy non-alcoholic beer so we started drinking his beer that night and tried to overcome those seven issues or think about ways to overcome them and of course, he was way more knowledge about the brewing process. You know, he has like a master degree at some brewing school in Germany. And me coming from the hobby brewing scene, of course, brewing professionally for about three years by then, but still really not in the know about non-alcoholic beers and how to brew them. But as you see, we uh, we did overcome them together with him. And once things took off, basically, they took off like crazy. It's actually um, more than half of the beer that we brew here is our playground. As you just heard from Ronald, the demand for IPA is one of the big elements behind Vanderstrick brewing a non-alcoholic beer. And he went on to share some really interesting insights and information around how in brewing their non-alc beer, they've gone against the grain and really turned some of the approaches to brewing upside down and innovated their way to a great product. So I asked Ronald to talk a little further about how the ingredients and elements that create the Vanderstreek non-alcoholic range turn standard and traditional approaches on their head. And it's really interesting to hear how they've gone about this. So have a listen to what Ronald had to say. 
So here in the Netherlands, I think the um, yeah, well, the craft beer scene has the, the revolution has started. I would say around that time that we started the brewery, 2013, 2010, when we were starting to homebrew. Nobody I knew was homebrewing. It wasn't in the convenience shops like it is today. We we were a little bit at the forefront there. And also, I would say in 2012, 13, there were like I don't know, 10, 15 breweries opening, and most of them that opened back then are still in existence. And if you look a little bit later in the curve, 14, 15, 16, even more breweries opened, but quite some of those are not around anymore as well. So we were at the forefront of that little uh, re- revolution here in the Netherlands. And back in the days, everybody was brewing really crazy beers, of course, you know, smoked porters and brown IPA, and we could do English IPA, we could do Belgian triples, like didn't really matter. But of course, the West Coast IPA was getting its foothold here as well. And craft brewers naturally were the ones to present them to the market. So yeah, so it was kind of a logical thing to us to grow into. And then again, also for the beer itself, Playground in this in this case, we don't have the expensive equipment to filter out alcohol. And also we don't want to fiddle around with the beer, adding natural aromas and adding weird ingredients to the beer. So it's a completely naturally brewed beer. And of course, if it's non-alcoholic, there will be different flavors in there from when it's a fully fermented alcoholic beverage. So we are also quite happy that we could add quite some bitterness and also loads of aroma from the hops which by then already were natural to people who were drinking IPAs. So those two things went hand in hand. Like if the whole IPA trend high growth wouldn't be there, we wouldn't be brewing non-alcoholic beers because to be quite clear, the non-alcoholic beers, you know, they are more warty, more sweet, more malty than the the original style would be basically. The most fun or or weird thing about the way that we brew the non-alcoholic beers is that it kind of goes against the natural way of brewing for a normal brewery. Normally we would have malt and try to get as, as much easy sugars out of them for the yeast as possible. And we want a, like a healthy fermentation is what we talk about. Even big beers, you know, they, they, they got to be done in like one week or seven, eight, nine days. And now we're trying to make a wort with the most complex sugars we can get because we don't want any of those easy edible sugars for the yeast. Because the yeast that we're using is a yeast which has a hard time making alcohol, but it has an even harder time making alcohol from the more difficult sugar strains that you get in your wort. So if you would have a wort full of simple sucrose, glucose, it's still going to ferment to like two, three, four, and the, and the flavor will be really off. But if you have a lot of maltose, maltoseose, and kind of the more difficult sugar strains in your wort, you're going to end up with a, with a fermented product under the 0.5%. Now we know a little bit around the way that the beers are created and the process behind them. In case you haven't tried the Van der Streek range, I asked Ronald about how he would go about describing the characteristics of the beer and he touches on a remarkable point around the result of some blind tastings and a really interesting element around the challenges that come with the process of developing and building flavors and balance into a non-alcoholic beer starts with the malts that we use. So we don't use too much uh, plain base malt. So Pilsner malt and pale malt is not the main thing in the recipes for the non-alcoholics. We are able to do it, but you know, there's always like you get a thinner beer and you get this kind of hard because you also want to have the, the mouthfeel basically that fits the beer style. So uh, it starts with the malts and we're using a really unusual malt bill basically to brew the beer. So in comparison to a regular beer, there would be way too many caramels in there, way too many kind of the aroma malts that you would normally use to kind of up a beer a little bit in, into some, some direction. But if you look at the recipe here, it's most of it. Then the hops, of course, for American IPAs, we use American hops. We do love our Australian hops as well, though, but they are quite hard to find here. We actually just released a Galaxy and a Vic Secret uh, IPA. So I'm always stoked to get some Australian hops here. So if you have any connections, let me know. 
But we use American hops for the for the playground at least, which is mostly based on mosaic hops and cascade. Right. So it sounds like it's kind of a really nice blend of the two. And you're able to, like you said, create that beautiful mouthfeel as well, which is so important to people who are trying to drink something without the alcohol, but still want that feeling of drinking a, a traditional beer. Exactly. So the the actually the multi backbone supports the bitterness as well. So even though it's non-alcoholic, and I don't know I don't know how geeky uh, you want me to get, but uh, the level of bitterness is still quite high. It's even similar to a beer that you would have at six percent, seven percent, for example. Right. So the IBUs in it at quite a high level. How, how did you manage to kind of do that from a, a technique point of view? Uh, adding more hops, that's always uh, the answer, of course. But the beer takes it so well because it has that sweet, multi backbone, basically. So without the sugar, which are still left in the product as well, you wouldn't be able to build it up to such a big bitterness. Like you heard Ronald touch on a little earlier, the first batches were absolutely flying. They were being bought and fully pre-ordered before they even landed from Germany. And Ronald now touches on the growth of the brewery and the way it's been impacted by the uptake of their non-alcoholic beer, as well as a path to being able to produce it locally in the Netherlands. So have a listen to what is some pretty amazing growth the team have and are currently experiencing on the back of the popularity of both their non-alcoholic and traditional beers and what the team are currently up to in relation to expanding the brewery. Our main beer or the biggest beer that we brew is the Playground Non-Alcoholic IPA, which is a West Coast interpretation, non-alcoholic West Coast IPA interpretation. It does give you the full experience of drinking a regular West Coast IPA. It is very often used here, at least uh, in tastings, to also kind of do a blind tasting and, and ask people, hey, what do you think the alcohol is in this beer? More than half of the people definitely says like this is above 5%, for example. So it really mimics the, 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 the mouthfeel and the experience there. Then we also have a fruit machine, which is a non-alcoholic uh, fruity sour with raspberry blueberry. And you ha- did you have the fun house? Yeah, so we've got the fun house and the playground here. Cool. And Fun House is actually created together with our friends in Hong Kong, brewery named Guaylo there. They actually import our beers there as well. So we figured it makes a lot of sense to also brew together. And this was our first attempt at a New England IPA, non-alcoholic, which of course brings that little bit of a difficulty compared to what I was just saying. You know, we have the sweet backbone to build bitterness upon. If we don't add the bitterness, like a New England IPA, what happens with that sweetness? So basically, we had to find a way to brew it less sweet, but to keep mouthfeel. And of course, that means adding oats and adding wheat to the beer. But you can't do that like indefinitely if you're brewing a non-alcoholic beer, because you're just going to have a stuck filter in the process here. The process is really basic, of course, of brewing. And that's here. It's the same here. We don't have too much fancy equipment. Of course, we have all the equipment to brew the beer in a very high quality, but we don't have dealkalization units or weird filters or something to make a different wort than a regular beer. And even all of the beers that we brew are going through the tanks like a regular beer. So it's not a mix we make in one day and then bottle it. It actually sits in the tank, ferments and lagers as well. And before it gets into the can, it's at least three to four weeks old, just like any other IPA or other beer that we brew would be. So the whole process of brewing the non-alcoholic, the approach that we take is only adding stuff to it, taking nothing out of it, which is really important for the flavor, of course. And then also following the natural process of what the, the beverage itself could be and must be. So I also wanted to chat to you about the way that you guys have grown and how the company has grown in terms of trying to keep up with that demand that you mentioned a bit earlier, because you said you started with a 40 hecto uh, batch first, and then from there you moved to, I think it was an 80 hecto. So yeah, can you tell me a little bit about how your first couple of batches sold? 
Yeah, so the very first batch that we brewed, I think, was sold within a week or something. And then we decided to, to brew it again, which we were still doing as gypsy brewers in Germany. As soon as that came in, the same day that it came in from Germany, we were able to get everything out again and have it sold. So we, of course, reordered, 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 and we were able to up this to 80 hectare. And all the time, we would sell out on the instant that it got here, which is really annoying because we, you know, we don't want to say no to people throughout the month and we were making lists and people were over ordering as well because if you can't get it I better order some more for next time so yeah we were really happy to be able and to afford also the, the equipment to make it ourselves here and it really boosted the growth of the brewery as well so uh, we started off here with nine fermenters at the moment I think it's 23 or something and we are actually gearing up or, or getting ready for another 100% growth so what we're brewing at the moment is about 50% of what the tanks can have it is about 100% of what our filling team can have. But that's why we're also, again, investing in a new bottle line and yeah, new equipment there to kind of keep up with the demand. Maybe quite a, a funny thing to know for consumers as well is when you build a brewery, for example, you're building a 20,000 hectoliter brewery. You calculate with maybe filling 15,000 hectoliters in bottle or can because the rest will go in kegs, right? Well, non-alcoholic doesn't go in kegs. So the first problem, the first bottleneck literally will be your bottle line. So we ran into that quite quick. We have been filling bottles for quite a long while. We switched to canning and bottling last year and now already. So within one and a half year since that's been installed, we are about to buy a huge, quick canning line to be able to be way faster in filling the beers. So that's how the growth has been affected by non-alcoholic. And of course, the growth is also in the alcoholic beers that we brew because they're amazing as well. And I think that's a really good point to note on. You know, as someone who drinks both a traditional beer and non-alcoholic beer, it is one which is kind of great to be able to start your night and have something with alcohol in it and then jump across to something like a, a playground and have that for the rest of your night and then still be okay the next day. Or if you want to drive home later on the night, you can drive home. So it's really great to see that you've got that option for people to enjoy both and just kind of give them the ability to choose. And I also saw recently that you managed to finally get your own fully printed cans for this as well while we're talking about the canning. So that's something to be celebrated. It sounds like you guys were pretty excited about that. Yeah, at the moment, at least in Europe, there's a big problem and a shortage of cans. So it's really hard to get into the planning and to kind of have the spot there. But we finally have it. So we really love the look of uh, Playground. And then another beverage that we make is our Hazy Weekend, which is an alcoholic IPA. Those are our two main beers and they are now in printed cans. And I hope to be able to move into uh, printed cans for most of our products because that as well saves a lot of work at the canning line actually. Having touched on the Van der Streek range and the approach the team take to brewing the beers from the ingredients to the process, I ask Ronald where his beers can be found internationally. And as you'll hear, he goes in to discuss the different locations these are found and the approaches people take to selling them, or should I say distributors take to selling them internationally throughout the globe. So have a listen to where you can find the Van der Streek range internationally. Yeah, most of the countries that we ship to are former English countries or under the British flag, or how do you call it? So we are in Hong Kong, we are in Australia, New Zealand, we are in the UK itself, of course, Canada, uh, just starting up a little bit in the US as well. We have then here in Europe, of course, our neighboring country, Belgium, France, Switzerland, Italy, Denmark. We are not in supermarkets everywhere, of course, but here in the Netherlands, we, you can find our non-alcoholic beers in most of the supermarkets, I would say. And our alcoholic beers you would find in the better bottle shops and also in the in the bars, etc. And then in the UK, we're doing both as well. So alcoholic and non-alcoholic. And that's also sold throughout the country in mostly bars at the moment. 
We have a really traditional importer there that really wants to focus on the bars first before going into retail. And I think in Hong Kong, it's also in the supermarket there. So it's quite crazy to, I mean, Australia, of course, is further away than Hong Kong is. But saying that your beer is in a supermarket in Hong Kong is kind of a surreal thing because, you know, Hong Kong itself is surreal to me. Australia, I can still imagine a little bit. Yeah, it's one of those ones where you kind of start to see it grow and, and really see it out there in the wild. Like it's your baby that you've taken care of for so long and all of a sudden now you see everyone enjoying it. It must kind of be a, a feeling which kind of makes you really happy and glad to get up every day and, and go to work. I hope Corona is over soon so we can do a little world tour and uh, kind of have three weeks of my time or something dedicated to visiting all the places where Playground is being sold. Absolutely. That would be amazing. We could um, make sure it's summertime down here because Melbourne is freezing during the winter. You don't want to be here. What does freezing mean? I mean... Well, I mean, that's exactly right. It's all relative, <laughs> isn't it? I think for us today, I think it was nine to 10, but not quite zero. So if you're used to the winter and the snow, you're fine. Exactly. Well, actually, a nine to 10 sounds like good, good beer drinking weather as well. It's always good beer drinking weather, you know? <laughs> exactly. So before wrapping up, I wanted to leave you with a couple of stories Ronald's passed on around the way that they innovate and develop a couple of their core range beers, so their traditional alcoholic beers. And I think you're really going to love their approach to innovation and just trying different things to create a beer of their own and kind of having their own trademark or their own stamp on a traditional style. So have a listen to the way Ronald talks about developing the Hazy Weekend product in their range, as well as the way that they went out one night and tasted a whole bunch of Belden triples before landing on a style that they really wanted to brew themselves. Uh, Hazy Weekend is our New England IPA. Basically what we do, it's a core range beer, but we still mess around with the hops. So Hazy Weekend, we say we brew it on Monday when we're still a little bit hazy from the weekend. And the story started off that we kind of forgot what the recipe was and we just threw in different hops all the time. Um, it kind of morphed into being 50% Amarillo dry hopped and then 50% with something else. So there's always a steady, you know, the, the flavor is always kind of steadily the same, but there's something on top of it or next to it or extra or blended in with it. And you can always see in the print on the bottom of the can, which hops are there. And the other one would be our uh, Turf and Surf. Turf and Surf is a triple beer and we are in the Netherlands and below us is Belgium where so many traditional Belgian triples come from. And it's actually a beer that, that I needed to hassle my brother over a little bit. He didn't want to brew a triple because he, you know, he was like, yeah, it's not crafts. It's the traditional beers from Belgium. It's not craft. So we actually went around town here in Utrecht one night drinking triples. And I can recommend this to everybody as well. We only drank triples everywhere. And really the last place was really close to his house and still had pepper and salt on the table. So I finally, after, you know, trying for 20 times, like we got to do a triple, let's try it like this, let's do this. I got the salt, grinded some salt into his uh, triple and said, okay, it's going to be a salty triple. He's like, nah, you know, why, why would we do a salty triple? It's, it's not, a, it's, basically he said it's not a good addition to a triple. And then I got the brilliant idea after about 10, drinking 10 triples to walk to the bar and ask for a smoky whiskey, so a peated whiskey. Kind of dip my fingers into the glass, threw some some drips of it into his glass as well, and say, okay, smoky, salty, surf and turf. And then we also directly decided that it wouldn't be surf and turf because that's the dish and it's going to be turf and surf. That is an absolutely brilliant story to end on. I love it. I hope to one day see them down here in Australia and, you know, would love to drink them. Otherwise, if we can't get them down here, it would be a great opportunity to travel over and have a reason to come over and drink your beer. I welcome everybody here behind me in our tap room and uh, <laughs> we have it on tap all night. I'll put the links to the brewery and the tap room in the show notes and hopefully you can get some people over there who have had a listen as well. Cool. Let's uh, let's agree on like a secret handshake and they get a they get a, they get a little discount. Yeah. <laughs> 
I love it. That sounds good. Ronald, thanks so much for talking to me today. It's been a great opportunity to chat everything Vanderstreek and it's been great to chat. Cool. Well, thanks so much. Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's chat and interview with Ronald and really enjoyed the way that Vanderstreek go around putting their beers together and innovating and developing new products along the way. As always, you can find the show notes and everything we chatted about today from the beers and the brew house over at tiplezero.com forward slash session zero four. By the way, if you haven't done so already, I would love it if you could take five seconds to head over to your favorite podcasting app and subscribe to the podcast. That way you won't miss an episode when it drops and you can keep on top of gems like these. So that brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Non-Alcoholic Drinks Podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Lambrianidis, and I'll be back with you on the next episode. But until then, I hope you have a great rest of your day and that you discover a few beautiful drinks along the way. All right, guys, I'm out. I'll chat to you soon.